One of the things that new immigrants can engage in and in terms of helping them to build their intercultural awareness is to network with people, to volunteer where they can. They have their expertise so they can volunteer their expertise to whoever, whichever organization or whichever individual might need those expertise. And the other thing I encourage them to do as well is in their community, make sure they are building relationships with people from different cultures. That's so important. It's easy for us to want to settle within the comfort of the people who we know. But when we do that, we are not exposing ourselves to the beauty or the wonder of other cultures. Welcome to episode 24 of Intercultural Insiders. My name is John McGraw, and I help newcomers and expats connect across cultures to succeed in less time and pain. I am the founder of Hiaku Coaching, which is dedicated to helping you create your pathway to success in a new culture. The purpose of Intercultural Insiders is to share the stories of people with intercultural experiences. So if you're feeling isolated or lost, you can hear something from the guest's experiences that could help you, even if it's just a reminder that you're not alone. One of the things that I really am excited about is that I'm going to be at the Welcome Fair for Niagara College in Toronto for their international students to introduce them to the services that are available. I'm a firm believer that cross-cultural skills are essential for being able to thrive in Canada, not only in your time as a student, but setting yourself up for success once you graduate. The other day, I posted about the banner that I had made for the event and also some of the materials, including name tags, we sharing. That's going on Tuesday, May 2nd at the reference library on the corner of Young and Bloor from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. for Niagara College in Toronto students. So I'm quite excited about that. But the main thing today is part one of a two-part conversation with Daisy Wright. Daisy is a highly regarded award-winning executive career coach, founder, and chief encouragement officer, CEO, at the Wright Career Solution, where she collaborates with mid-career professionals, emerging leaders, and executives to help them find satisfying careers and get hired faster. She specializes in career transition coaching, interview coaching, and executive resume development. She speaks on personal branding, leadership development, and confidence building, and also develops workshops on related topics. She is also an immigrant and the author of many books such as No Canadian Experience, A, and this, along with some of the other materials that she has made, helps newcomers prepare for when they encounter the barrier of no Canadian experience in the job market. Today, we talk about the cross-cultural experiences that 
Daisy had growing up in Jamaica and working for the United Nations, what to do when you face the no Canadian experience barrier, and key points to adjusting to life in Canada. So without further wait, let's get started with part one of the conversation with Daisy Wright. Daisy, could you please introduce yourself? First of all, thank you so much for having me, John. It's a pleasure. I've been listening to some of your other guests, and it's a pleasure for me to be invited to this forum. So I've been an executive career coach for a long time. And as an immigrant to Canada, one of the passions I have is to work or interact with newcomers or other immigrants. And although immigrants are not my primary client base, I do a lot of work pro bono with new immigrants. But basically, I work with emerging leaders, mid-level professionals to help them define their career paths and find satisfying careers. I enjoy working with women. And that could have come about because of an experience I had when I worked with UNIFEM in New York. It's now UN Women. And that enabled me to meet and work with many people, not only women, many people from different countries. And having grown up in Jamaica, where our motto is out of many, one people, it wasn't difficult for me to interact with these people. Because in in Jamaica, we have people from India, Lebanon, Israel, Africa, wherever. And we take our lifestyle for granted. But then when you get out into the wider world and you're meeting people from these different countries and you're learning so much more, you're learning about the culture, the food they eat, their different religions, it really piqued my curiosity. And that really led me to start thinking more about the world becoming that much smaller. When I moved to Canada, it wasn't difficult to integrate in a sense. But from the job perspective, I was hearing from people, my husband, for example, where he needed Canadian experience. And we were wondering, what is this? Whatever the work that he did, the work that I did, it was no different from here. And as I met new immigrants, I was hearing the same thing. I can't get a job because they're asking me for Canadian experience. And that was what led me to eventually write the book, No Canadian Experience, A, A Career Success Guide for New Immigrants. Even now, that still seems to be an issue that many newcomers are running into. What would you say about that? First of all, I did not face that. Nobody told me that I didn't have Canadian experience. Because I guess if they had told me, then I would probably tell them where to go. (laughs) (laughs) Because of my varied work background, I started my career way back when as an executive assistant. So it was in administration, right? So that's no different. My first language is English. So that and the type of person I am, I don't think anybody would take the chance to tell me I didn't have Canadian experience because then we would end up in a debate. However, the reality is that many people do see that as a barrier. Just to look at it, John, as the new immigrant, 
start thinking that these people don't know who I am. And so they're afraid. They don't want to take a chance on somebody that they don't know. So the onus or the responsibility is on you as the job candidate, the new immigrant, the newcomer, to tell them your stories about your successes, your accomplishments, and how those can relate or will relate to the job that you're being interviewed for. So that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it, and that's from the recruiter or the employer's perspective, is to say, listen, this person could not get into Canada without having proven their educational background, their work experience, and all those kind of things. So there must have been something that led the Canadian government to offer them permanent residency. And your education and your work experiences, they play a huge role. So it's for them as employers or recruiters to open up, to suspend judgment, and to say, let me have a conversation one-on-one with this individual. And can they do the work that I'm employing them to do? That should be the criteria or one of the main criteria, as opposed to putting up this barrier and saying, oh, no, you don't have any Canadian experience. What I tell people who I coach, newcomers who I coach, I say to them, admit right off. If they tell you you don't have Canadian experience, admit it right off. That's true. I don't have Canadian experience. However, I can use my international experience to help you penetrate markets in my ear, my region, my country. Or they can introduce it in a humorous way by saying, that might be true, I don't have any Canadian experience. Will you be the first person to offer me that experience? It's not as bad as it was years ago, but it is still bad. Legally, they can't say that anymore, but they find little ways to exclude People who are highly trained, people who have had successes in their former countries, people who are ready to serve. Yes, they might need to learn. They might need to learn the culture. They might need to learn certain of the idiomatic expressions that you and I take for granted. They may need to learn to develop their soft skills. It's not just the technical skills that are important and so on. But we all need to learn and grow. And we need to open that window. As an employer or as a recruiter, they need to open up that window of opportunity for these highly skilled individuals who are moving to Canada. The other side is that some new immigrants, they believe the fact that they have their MBAs and their PhDs, then, you know, that's enough. And that's never enough. Again, you have to be open to learn and understand the landscape. It sounds like from the recruiter's side or from the potential employer's side, that isn't so much about the actual working in Canada, but it's the concern about is this person familiar with the culture, yes. the work culture that they're coming mm-hmm. into? And from the newcomer side, and they're faced with that, one way they can counter it is by referring to their international experience that they have Absolutely. and using turning that perceived weakness as a strength Almost to highlight strength. their what they bring. And of course, obviously from the recruiter's side, it's important to have more of an open mind, particularly with so many newcomers slated to be coming in over the next few years. If they're more open-minded and the employers are more open-minded, take the strengths that they bring in 
and getting the diversity of the viewpoints. Of course. And let me just add, John. So there's the recruiter slash employer side, and then there's the newcomer side. But there's also the government side of it as well. And I think that's where there's a mismatch, because when the government takes the highly skilled person to move here, and then they get here, and they're not finding work, some of the jobs that are available are not even close to what the individual was accustomed to. So it means that the government allows them to come here based on their current experience, education, and so on. And then they get here, and it's a totally different situation. They're going to look into situations where, okay, there are lots of jobs in this particular field. Like I was reading just this morning where the construction industry, for example, they can't find people to work in their field, right? Yet the government is opening opportunities for so many more new immigrants to come in. Where are those people going to live if they cannot fill the role in the construction industry. And I just use that as one example where you're seeing the mismatch. The government itself has to play a role with employers to determine what are your needs, what skills do you need? And based on those skills, those are the people that we will be allowing to come into the country. I think that communication is essential. And unfortunately, we are hearing stories. I've had a conversation the other day with someone who had just arrived here, a highly skilled person in project management. She assumed that she would be able to get a job within a couple of weeks, and it's been a few months, and she's still looking. I would also add one of the things that new immigrants can engage in, and in terms of helping them to build their intercultural awareness, is to network with people to volunteer where they can. They have their expertise so they can volunteer their expertise to whoever, whichever organization or whichever individual might need those expertise. And the other thing I encourage them to do as well is in their community, make sure they are building relationships with people from different cultures. That's so important. It's easy for us to want to settle within the comfort of the people who we know. But when we do that, we are not exposing ourselves to the beauty or the wonder of other cultures. For example, when we moved here first, my kids were small, but we made sure that we got them registered in all the activities that the city was offering. So whether it was dancing, skating, baseball, basketball, soccer, whatever, football, we enrolled them in those activities. My daughter excelled in soccer and my son excelled in baseball. And what happened is we felt that a lot of kids, when it was time to register for baseball in particular, they would have their parents phone us to find out which team was Guillaume going to be on because they wanted to be on his team because he played rep. So sometimes we're traveling all over Southern Ontario and one, at one stage we went to Cincinnati when he got older. But we would be traveling on weekends. We are in tournament in Kitchener, Windsor, Welland, Oakville, wherever. And say they had a tournament, so they had two games one day. When we had a break between our house looked like a little United Nation because the boys, they came and their sisters came because most of <laughs> that 
at that age, they were small. And the good thing about that is that those kids develop such great relationships that have followed them right now into adulthood. So they understand what different culture means. And certain things that you and I as adults will look at and we put up a, a border there, they don't see it. Now, I'm not going to say all is good and everything is perfect. No, but they have a better understanding of how to relate to kids and now to people who are of a different culture because they realize at the end of the day, at the heart of it is that we are not that much different. And the differences allow us to learn from each other as opposed to move away from each other. That's a fantastic thing that you've done with your children, recognizing the differences that are there as something that can be understood and mm -hmm. be accepted as a different way as opposed to seeing it as a challenge at an older age. Exactly. Seeing Instead it. of see, seeing it as a challenge, you see it as an opportunity. Yes. And I, even me, I do that as well. I have great relationships with people from different cultures, different backgrounds, and it has enriched my experiences as I imagine my whole, my outlook or the way I work with people. It's not hard. We make it too difficult. What I think about is being curious, having the curiosity to, first of all, suspend judgment. You may hear certain things about certain groups of people, suspend judgment, go in there and say, okay, let's start off on a clean slate. Let me learn from this individual or let me learn from these groups of people and get some benefits from this experience as opposed to putting up barriers. We can't afford to do that, not in this day and age. Absolutely. If we want Canada, the world to function effectively, it's essential to be open to these differences and to suspend judgment, as you said, and be curious to be able mm -hmm. to succeed. You mentioned some of your earlier experiences growing up in Jamaica and then eventually working with the UN and being exposed to different cultures as well. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that. Okay. So it's funny because just on Sunday we were at a brunch, right? And we we're talking about people like us who grew up in Jamaica. And we had white Jamaicans, Chinese Jamaicans, Indians, name it Lebanese, Israelis, Arabs, and so on. But of course we were Jamaicans. So nobody was really putting on that, what do you call it? When you say African Canadian or Chinese Canadian, we were just Jamaicans, right? And that's how we see ourselves. That's one. And then we were seeing people in different work environments who could be anybody. There's nothing that told us growing up that we could not be who we wanted to be. That's a good part about growing up in Jamaica, growing up in the Caribbean, for example. We are not faced with that. I would not be honest if I didn't say we do have our, what I tend to refer to as our colorism issues. So of course, the lighter you are, then the more favored you are in a sense, right? And it's all part of the old colonial construct. However, that still did not stop us. As long as you were qualified, as long as you had the education for a particular role, you could compete equally. 
And there's nothing in your head that tells you, oh, I might not get that job because of who I am. Yes, like I said, it happens probably if both of you are equal, then somebody might say, take this light up complexion person. So that's a baggage as part of the colonial baggage. But generally, none of us as Jamaicans or people in the Caribbean, for that matter, none of us really felt that we could not be who we wanted to be. So I said we were on our way here and we stopped in New York and I got the opportunity to work with the UN, one agency of the UN. And it was an, other than what I do now, it's the best job that I had. And the reason it was because I, as I said earlier, I was meeting people from countries that I had only read about. And to know that one of my co-workers was from Sri Lanka. One of my co-workers was from Egypt. One of my co-workers was from Ethiopia. In fact, one of the ladies I reported to was Canadian. My then boss, who later became the assistant director, but she was from Uganda. So you can imagine working in that environment and learning from these different people, learning about their cultures. When the professionals would go out to the different countries, because they supported our unit, UNIFEM, which is now UN Women, they supported women's empowerment or development. In Kenya, for example, in a particular area, they might not have water. We take these things for granted. We go, we turn on the tap. If the water doesn't come, they're ready to call region of peel to say what happened to our water and you imagine that again somebody who is living in a community and they don't even have a water so you help them so the un would help them to say construct a well or you might support a group of women who have a store or they're making clothes or something like that so when they would go out to the field and come back and tell us all these stories I had to look within myself and say, wow, look at the things I take for granted, as opposed to other people in all of these developing countries who don't have what we have. So that gave me a good sense of my privilege, in a way, the things that I take for granted. And then it propelled me to want to do work in those kinds of environment or help women the skills that I have, I can help, I can coach women, I can offer pro bono coaching, which I do, or they become a part of my group and I coach them or some of them become clients and all of that. But my point is that experience really opened my eyes to the world. And like you said, curiosity got the better of me. So I was eager to want to learn how people did things in their countries. And I don't want your listeners to think or to believe that I'm being facetious or anything. But one of the ladies that I worked with at the UN was from Sri Lanka, very good friend of mine. A couple of us went to her home for lunch and uh, she was eating and I saw her eating with her hands. And I was just shocked because it was like rice and in and gravy or something and she was just doing that putting in her mouth and all I could think of was the food in her fingernail because rightly or wrongly I grew up in Jamaica where we use fork and knife and stuff so I was saying it to my supervisor the next day and she was from Uganda and she said that's how we eat in Uganda and then she said that's actually an African concept I said that's interesting 
So easily, I could have been eating like that. But of course, because, you know, of the colonial history of the Caribbean, we got everything from England. So we got accustomed to eating with knife and fork, being ignorant to the fact that my ancestors could have been eating the same way like my friend from Sri Lanka. It was such a learning experience for me to realize that nothing is wrong with that. It might look strange to you because you're accustomed to eating knives and forks, but that's a norm for some people. That's how we learn and grow and appreciate different cultures, as opposed to putting a stamp on something that says that's right or that's wrong. The thing that I really like about that story is not just that you noticed the differences, but that it got you to reflect on why is it that I eat with a knife and fork. And I think that's really what it comes down to with cultural awareness is not only these are some tips that you should do, but it's more about reflecting on what is culture and why do I do things the way I do? Why is exactly. it that I believe that this this is the right way to do it? And as you said, realizing, okay, maybe there is no right way or wrong way. This is the way that I am used to and comfortable with. And if you can adapt at some point. So I'm curious, after that, how many times did you eat with your hands? I could tell you I didn't. <laughs> I, I, I didn't because, again, it's for me to do that. I start thinking of this this funny feeling that, say, for example, rice, I'm going to think that rice is going to get into my nails and then I have to go wash my hands and stuff. So I, I haven't done it, but it's not because I look down on it at all. It's just, for example, I'll tell you something. When I was growing up and we lived in the country, my parents had kind of like a farm, not farm at home. They would have to go a distance to it. And we had like goats and we would have donkeys. We would have a cow here and there and stuff. And my parents knew that I did not like to go outside barefooted because all I'm thinking is the grass, the damp grass, the wet grass going through my toes. It used to feel so funny. So that is something. And even now, I don't like to walk barefooted and have things like wet grass going through my toes. It's just one of these things that I have. And I think I feel the same way about using my hand to... It's not that I don't use my hand to eat. Of course, I will pick up a shrimp here if I go, that kind of thing. But to actually get my hands into something, say rice mixed with curry and gravy and all of that, I no longer think of how beneficial, how nice this food is going to taste. I start thinking of how it's going to feel in my fingernails and all of that. And I tell you, even my family, my kids laugh at me sometimes and say, Mom, are you going to eat the pizza with a fork? So it's just one of those idiosyncrasies that I have. Right. It's not that I castigate anybody or it's not that I say what you're doing is wrong and what I'm doing is right. It's, not, it's more about my personal preference. That's part one of the conversation with Daisy. And with that story that we are ending off with, we're going to continue in part two and lead into some discussion about recognizing your authentic self and what's important to you. The focus will be on talking about bringing your authentic self to work and what that means, tolerance of other cultures and of genuine mistakes from those who aren't aware 
And the work that Daisy does with mid-career professionals looking to transition or advance their careers and the number of services that she is offering. So next week, part two with Daisy on Wednesday, May 3rd, 12 p.m. Eastern time. Until then, keep navigating between cultures towards your goals. 